Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an honor for us to be here with you. Thank you for letting us come and serve with you in this way. Maybe just a slight or a brief introduction, since I don't know you and you may not know much about us or me. Um, it is nice to have my wife here, Marlene. And we have five children, four girls, one boy, the boy is the oldest, excuse me, the youngest. And they, he just turned 12 the end of January, and the oldest is 19. So they are keeping, holding the fort down at home while we're gone. So it's, it's nice to have the freedom to, to come while they manage things at home. Pray for them as you think about it, that it could go well for them there. We have, as far as my occupation, I do lawn maintenance, lawn care, and then kind of as a side venture, my brother and I have done a little remodeling, um, what we call flipping houses, and doing a little um, rental on the side. At our house, we enjoy animals. We have, we raise dogs. We have a little over 15 dogs, I think. Um, cockapoos, if you're interested in the breed. Um, cavapoos. And no, it's not a mutt. It's a designer breed. <laughs> we have um, several goats. They just had kids, so that's really fascinating to see the little kids bouncing around. And we have several rabbits. We have one potbelly pig. And we have probably close to 175 miniature egg factories, better known as chickens. And we sell to the public there. I appreciate the children that are here. And so if you don't mind bearing with me, I am going to engage you each evening a little bit. So what I would like to do is um, ask you a question. I'm gonna give you a little homework assignment, okay? So I'll ask you a question and then tomorrow evening when we come back together, I'll see if you know the answer, okay? And if you don't know the answer, then we'll ask some of these young people to help us out, okay? So the question that I want you to be prepared to answer for tomorrow evening is, who called his wife a heifer? See if you can find the answer to that. <clears throat> who called his wife a heifer? One thing I want to say in my excitement to be here with you is that I trust you've not come to just hear Daniel speak. I trust that we have come together to learn of him. Um, Jesus asked the multitude of John the Baptist, what did you go to see? Did you go to see a reed blowing in the breeze? Um, what is our purpose? What are we seeking? 
I trust that we want to hear from God this week. That's my heart's desire. And in that, I want to hear as well. So my encouragement is I come as not one who has all the answers. Um, I come as one to share what God has been teaching me with you. And I want to learn with you and from you. I think that's important. And God has ways of redirecting our steps, doesn't he? So I had a very unusual experience several weeks ago, probably a month and a half or so. Sunday morning, it's my turn to preach. And about nine o'clock, I had my message all prepared. And about nine o'clock, the door for that message closed. And I said, Lord, if that's not the message you want me to have, I'm fine with that. But I'm going to need you to give me another one (laughs) because I didn't have one. And the Lord gave me a message for our congregation that morning. And I say that to say this. I want to walk in step with the Spirit of God. And I was intending to speak on walking in the light as a theme. You may have heard that. And that has been altered. So I want to give you where I'm at presently as I feel the Lord has given direction. And in that, we're open to God's um, moving or changing that. So tonight we'll be looking at um, the title of Known of God. Tomorrow evening, Lord willing, we'll be looking at Wholesome Recreation. And I was hoping to have some questions for you to engage um, each evening. And I don't have them written down for you, my apologies. So I will submit tomorrow evening's questions for you right now, just for you to be thinking about. Um, As we think about wholesome recreation tomorrow evening, consider these questions. And by the way, I'm open to your questions, uh, specific questions regarding any of these um, subjects or something that you have a question about. I'd be happy to receive that and engage that. So don't hesitate to come or submit a question. Is the Christian life a killer of pleasure or a barrier of fun? Has enjoyment been handed over to the world so that the very idea of pleasure is seen as contrary to spirituality? How can we find the delights that our hearts yearn for without victimizing ourselves in the process? These are some questions we want to explore tomorrow evening, Lord willing. So be thinking about those. Saturday evening, Lord willing, Uh, We want to be looking at From Victim to Victor, Sunday Morning, Victorious Christian Living, and Sunday Evening, a theme on the altar. So I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. I think some of you may have read this for a little prep, and even though it's been altered from that, um, I would like to point out a few principles here that I think could apply well to our time together this week. 
Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Very familiar verses, but to me take on a um, whole another significance in seeing the gospel in a nutshell in these verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Here we see the Trinity. We see God, we see the Spirit, and we see light. And Jesus said, I am the light. So here in the first three verses, we have the Trinity of the Godhead. The, we have the earth without form and void. That is a picture of man in his depraved state. Man without God. Darkness upon the face of the deep. And God created, God moved, and God spoke. But before light came, something happened. What happened before light came? Or what preceded the light? It was the movement of the Spirit. And that is a principle you will find throughout Scripture. Prior to light coming or Christ coming into a situation, the Holy Spirit has moved. Think of the life of John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord. And so that's what I would like for God to do in my heart this week and in our hearts. That his spirit would move us in such a way that the light of God could shine in our hearts. And we could receive that. Now to our subject this evening, known of God. This is maybe just a little different emphasis than we normally hear. We often think of us knowing God, and that's part of it. But I want, to think, I want us to think of the flip side of that. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. And here we have a particular phrase that our text is taken from. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul is recognizing how they used to be servants, now they're sons. And he says in verse 9, But now after that ye have known God, and then it's almost like he pauses and says, or rather, he restates it, are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? So that's the... That's the focus here this evening we want to look at. Known of God. It's one thing for us to know God. It's another thing to be known of God. What do I mean by that? Hopefully, as we go through this, it will start making sense. The hunger of our hearts to know God is most deeply satisfied with a deeper understanding of being known by Him. Now, John 17, 3 says, This is life eternal, that we might know thee, the only true God. So it is important that we know God, but that knowing is a relational knowing. It's not just a mental knowing. 
It's just not knowing about. It's actually experiencing God, knowing Him for who He is. God is intensely interested in those who seek Him. The Lord, the Lord is looking down from heaven, Psalm 14 tells us, upon the children of men, to see if there are any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And Chronicles tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking, searching for someone through whom he can show himself strong. So God is looking for us, and sometimes we think we're looking for God. We should rejoice in God's grace whenever we sense a yearning to seek God, to find Him, to know Him. And the reason I say that is because Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father draw him. So the very desire that we have for God that we can kind of think subconsciously comes from us or that we have to manufacture, that actually is given to us by God. He has given us the desire to know Him. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is it is our sinful condition that obscures our view of God. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We want to know God. We want to experience Him deeper. Faith is the link that has to be activated in knowing God and being known of Him. What more can He say than to you, he has said, God has done his part. God gives us that desire. Perhaps we obstruct that more than enhance it often. And so I want to encourage us to allow God to have his way with us. After we find God, we come to understand he was coming to us long before we were coming to him. Do we fully recognize the, the reality and the truth of that? It's humbling because God made the first move for us. And he waits for us to make the second move. We think we are seeking him, choosing him, learning to know him. In finding him, we learn that he was seeking us. He has chosen us and has known us long before we sought him. The songwriter says it so well in the song, I Sought the Lord, in these words, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found the Savior true. No, I was found of thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I on thee took hold, but thou, dear Lord, of me, on me. 
I find, I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul, always thou lovest me. John Koblenz, in his book, Journey into God, says it this way. How easily we assume the wrong perspective. We think we are seeking him, learning to know him, choosing him. And finding him, we learn that he was seeking us long before we sought him. Writing to the Galatians, this is Paul, right? I mean, John writing. Paul says, Now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, in that phrase he seems to catch himself and expand his perspective. We think of our relationship from our perspective, the time we came to know him. The true perspective and the more important one is that knowing started with God. Not only did our knowing start with God, but our relationship is sustained more by God knowing us than by us knowing him. In our search for God, we can mistakenly assume ourselves to be the source. In other words, if I only have enough desire for him, then, and we can kind of subconsciously think that it comes from us. Rather than seeing ourselves as simply responsive to him and him being the initiator. Let me try to explain it this way. The fruits of the Spirit, we all want them, right? But if you pursue the fruits of the Spirit as an end in themselves, they will always elude you. Why? Because the fruit is the result of something. So when Daniel seeks to produce love, joy, and peace, it's never going to work. Why? Because it is not the fruit of Daniel. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So instead of pursuing the fruit, we pursue the Spirit. And when the Spirit possesses us, then we possess the fruits of the Spirit, meant to be given to someone else. So you see a little bit how in an eager and good heart sometimes, yet stepping off the path of thinking we need to produce the fruit. We need to produce the love and joy. No, let the Spirit do that. Be in tune with God. Something that convicted me some time ago in 1 John 2.15, the familiar verse that says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I always assumed in reading that, the context of if my love for God would, were great enough, then I would not love the things of the world. Are any of you with me on that? That's kind of the context I would have thought. But that's actually not what it says. It says, if any man love the world, the love of... Who? The Father is not in us. So it's not a love that I produce to give to him. It's more a matter of me receiving his love to position me to not love the world. Is this making any sense? I hope. 
The essence of Christianity is simply the outworking of a proper understanding of who we are in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 gives us who the creator and sustainer is. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and by him all things consist. That tells us that God is the source and the sustainer. And rather than it coming from us, it comes from him. Now, I'd like to make this just a little more personal as it relates to God knowing us or being known of God. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 139. And here we have a reference again to God knowing us. Let's read verses 1 through 6. And make this personal for yourself and for me. O Lord, thou hast searched me and, what's the word? Known. God knows you and I. You know my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Here's a precious verse. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And I want to just pause here to give recognition to this. This is God, God's specific involvement in your life and in my life. Thou hast beset me behind, that's in the past, and before, that's in the future. And then what does it say? And laid thine hand upon upon me. God is with you right now. He's not just back there. He's not just out there. He's right now interested in your life and mine. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Jumping to verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. God's thoughts for you and I are more numerous than the sand of the sea. And if God knows us this well, I love David's ending prayer. Rather than us trying to search ourselves, he says, God, since you know me so much better than I know myself, you search me. You try me. You know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me 
and the way everlasting. Just think. You are not here by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He compares you to no one else. You are one of a kind. You lack nothing that his grace can't give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. You are not a biological accident. Your birth, your life is and was a sovereign act of God on your life. Your gifts, your abilities, your height, your hair color, your eye color, God tailor made you. And that's humbling to think about. God personally fashioned you and I with his own hands. And because of that, your life is infused with intrinsic value, purpose, and meaning. And I would just like to point out here, because of the society we're living in, your gender is a God-given gift to you. And as young people, that alone gives so much definition to your purpose in life. Males for men, females for women. Think of God's role for genders and the amount of direction and purpose he has programmed into that. Isn't that a blessing? God intentionally made you just the way he wanted you. Speaking of gender roles. Here's a little saying that uses nature to describe the roles of gender. Ill thrives the hapless family that shows a cock that's silent and a hen that crows. I know not which live most unnatural lives, obeying husbands or commanding wives. You see the conflict against nature in that. God has a plan and purpose. And I'll just make a side note here for the young men. Beards are a gender distinction thing. And I remember when I first grew a beard, I was very self-conscious about it. it. So I like to say it this way. It's okay. It'll grow on you. <laughs> But to get, our, get a better handle on our created purpose, specifically asking the question, why am I here? Why are you here right now? Why are we here? Let's look at the life of Christ. And as we look at the life of Christ, wouldn't we and can't we easily see and recognize that Jesus was sent, was chosen, by God's sovereign design with divine purpose for a specific work 
in God's timing. Do you believe that to be accurate as far as the life of Christ? Wasn't he sent for a specific work and purpose? He was sent not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Matthew 12, 18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, slain before the foundation of the world. He, was, he came here on a divine mission, a divine purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came for a specific work. I must work the works of him who sent me. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. I do nothing of myself, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he came in God's timing. We read these beautiful words through Brother Paul in the fullness of time in Galatians. And what does that mean? That means at the appointed time when the time was ripe. And I had the awkward experience in my dating days of someone asking me prior to engagement, so when are you getting married? And that's kind of an awkward um, question for a young man who's dating. But scripture gave a, a satisfactory answer for that, that I could rely on in the fullness of time. <laughs> yes, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, we see that in the life of Christ. We connect with that. At least, I can see that pretty well, and I think you can too. But let's translate that now to you and I. Turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus, showing himself to his disciples, he says... As my Father hath sent me, and we just went over how and why he was sent. As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Turn with me there, please. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. We are no longer speaking about Christ's purpose and mission. We are now considering our place and role. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Couldn't we read this verse in the context of Christ and it'd be totally fitting? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That could so well fit the context of Christ's life and ministry right there. But that is not talking about Christ. That is talking about you and I. Here we are chosen that we should be holy. And holiness is not just the absence of sin. Holiness means to be set apart unto God. You're separated unto God, for God. There's a specific work and mission, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. God has created you and I in his image to mirror his likeness. Jesus said it this way, he that hath seen me 
hath seen the Father. And God's heart for you and I echoes that. When someone sees you, they should see Christ. We are called, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We usually think of this in the context of uh, when something kind of bad is happening to us. And we go to this scripture for comfort and consolation. And that it gives. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Notice these words, called according to his purpose. God has a purpose. He has called you too. You are not here by accident. You are here on purpose, God's purpose. And what is that purpose? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And here's the purpose. To be conformed to the image of his son. For sake of time, we'll leave it there. Our lives are infused with meaning, significance, and purpose. The purpose of life defines lifestyle. Someone says it this way. The prerequisite for living a fulfilled life is to first establish the purpose of life itself. Life must first be defined, then it becomes clear to discern between fulfillment and disappointment, fun and destructiveness. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're joining a, um, a race in India, a bicycle race. And you jump on your bicycle and pull up to the front line and the gun goes off and you take off as fast as you can for the finish line. You reach the finish line first and you look back and to your amazement, the rest of the racers are at the starting line, balancing on their bicycles. Because the point of the race was not to see who could cross the line first, the point of the race was to see who could cross last. You see, when you don't understand the purpose of life, we miss the end goal. God has established clear directives. Samson is a literal example of someone who had lost sight of God's purpose for his life. There are a thousand angles at which to fall, but only one at which to stand straight up. And young people, if I, would, if I could just encourage you, along with myself, to get a good handle on this concept. If you know the purpose of your life, in other words, the one angle at which to stand straight up, to be upright. It will give so much definition to all the other questions that come your way. Then we will be asking not, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that? We will be asking, how does this align with the purpose for which I was created? And it answers so many questions. It brings clarity to so many situations. 
So I would encourage you to get a good hold on the purpose of life. The purpose of life, again, defines lifestyle, defines the places we go, the friendships we embrace, the words we speak, the things we watch, the things we look at, the books we read, the thoughts we entertain. All must be aligned with the purpose for which we are called of God. Now, if you're like me, you can sometimes have this concept that God is so high and holy and he's kind of out of reach. And I'll never quite be like that. And if I would have something big enough to give to God to make a difference, then I'd be willing to give that. But I want you to know that it might be a high calling, but it's attainable by a lowly spirit. It is something that God has placed right within our reach. Think about Naaman. Do you remember what his messengers asked him when he was angry? They came to him and said, if he had asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? The answer is yes. There's something within us that wants to do something great, that wants to be something great. And I wonder sometimes if we don't miss the mark by trying to, to present something great or worthy to such a high and holy God, when really what he wants is the humility and brokenness of our hearts. And what he wants is exactly what is in your hand. Do you remember the question he asked Moses? What is that in thine hand? Moses was saying, I'm not able to do this, Lord. I don't have the greatness of speech. And God says, all that aside, what do you have? What is in your hand? And when we give God our rod, look at what God can do with that. What did Rebecca have when she came to water the camels? Just a water pot, right? An everyday earthly small thing, a water pot, that the use of that water pot put her in line for the lineage of Christ. Isn't that amazing? What is that in your hand? I think Jesus was trying to teach his disciples the th same thing when he saw the multitudes and he said, um, give ye them to eat. What? We don't have near enough money what do you have? We have five loaves and two small fishes. And what God wants is not some great thing from us that we think would be so easy to give. Maybe it's harder, like Naaman, to strip ourselves and dip and give God what he has given to us. Remember David. We think of David as the little boy who killed a big giant, and he was. But something preceded that battle, and it was David's faithfulness in the back 40 when he faced the lion and the bear. No one saw that happen. That was a little thing that affected a big outcome. Let me ask it this way. 
do you think David would have killed Goliath if he had not killed the bear and the lion? You see, he had, he had experienced God faithful in little things, and it equipped him for the bigger thing. We tend to get it backwards. So let me bring this zeroed in just a little bit more. Service or servanthood. There can be a difference. Sometimes in our desire to work for God, we miss working with God. Think of the Good Samaritan and the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite were in the service of the Lord, but they lacked servanthood. Someone said it this way, not everyone who goes into service is a servant, but a servant will always be in service. Why is that? Because servanthood is a lifestyle. Service is a lifestyle, not a time frame. But it comes from a servant heart. Amy Carmichael said it this way, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. The Good Samaritan had a servant's heart, and what did he do? He gave service. And if you read that account, it's absolutely amazing because you read the little word and in there, and he did this, and he did that, and he did this. And it just about 10 times there's the word and. And is an addition word. Two and two make four. The priest and the Levite focused on service, but not on servanthood. God wants servanthood. So I'd like for us to see that God has created us for specific purpose. God is the source of our existence. He is the reason we are here. And that purpose is not fulfilled unless we are small enough to be used of God and possessed by Him. Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me there, please. Probably some of the saddest words in Scripture. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here were a people who thought they knew God. But the most important thing is that God knew them. Does God know me? We flew back from... Where, where was that from when we missed our flight? We were in Honduras, and because of time change, we missed our flight by five minutes. And the sad thing was, we were waiting right around the corner um, for our flight. And I thought we were an hour early, so I went over there. 
and we were five minutes late. And you talk about a letdown feeling, <laughs> but it gave me just a little glimpse of what if that plane was the only one that went to heaven? <laughs> and I thought I was on time. And I came to board only to discover I had missed the flight. Can you imagine the eternal letdown <laughs> of an experience like that? And that's going to be the reality, according to Scripture, for many people who thought they were on time, who thought they knew God. And God says, I never knew you. Am I known of God? Does God possess me? Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, in closing. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You and I are created for God's pleasure, and our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction, our greatest pleasure is bringing pleasure to him. I hope that can be a living reality and experience for you. And I just want to encourage you and bless you, especially as young people, in the service of God right here at Hillcrest. Um, you are here not by accident. And God has given you something in your hand. But it, that can only be of true service to him as it is given back to him. And as it is sanctified by us humbling ourselves and giving that back to him. So don't think that you have to be someone big, someone great. No, God, God is looking and it's hard to find someone small enough to be useful. So my encouragement for you is um, don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have and give that back to God. May the five loaves and two fishes that you and I give to him, he can take that, bless it, and break it, give it back to you to give to others. And you will find something miraculous happen with that. It will just multiply. It is the work of God then. It is not our work. We are not working for God at that point. We are working with God. I hope that makes sense for you. Do you all know the little chorus, live in me, Lord Jesus, live in me, work through me, and come for me? Do you all know that? Why don't we sing that together?